0: If you could package it and sell it, you could become very wealthy. It is peace. Welcome to What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher Dr. George Byron Koch. This is episode 23. Of course, we all know peace is elusive and can't be bought. But are there other ways to obtain peace? Let's jump into our discussion for today. Here's George. So when we finished up last time, you'll remember that we were looking at the prophecies about the Messiah from Isaiah 42 and about how the Messiah, when he came, would free people from their prisons, give sight to the blind. This prophecy was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And we noted that even more broadly than physical prison, there are internal prisons in which we are trapped if we've been raised with abuse of any kind—physical, sexual, emotional—in a hundred different ways, there are internal prisons that we are trapped in. And the Messiah, Jesus, can give us freedom from them. But now we need to look at the nature of that to understand what freedom in Christ is truly about. What is the freedom Jesus gives? Is it just to be cut loose from our sin? Well, let's think about this a bit. Do you all remember the scene in a hundred different movies of the thief and longtime prisoner being released from jail? He gets a new suit, maybe $20 in his pocket, and he walks out of the prison to what? In some films, he's picked up at the door by his old partners in crime and immediately re-enters his old lifestyle, robbing others to gain wealth for himself. In other films, he walks out alone, no one to meet him or lend a hand, and he begins walking, facing an empty and bleak future, not knowing how he will succeed in a changed and hostile world. But in a few movies, Even though he has been a thief and was convicted of a crime, he is met by family and friends who have continued to love him anyway and visited him while in prison. As he is set free from jail, he is warmly greeted and taken back into the bosom of the family who care for him and commit themselves to work with him through the challenging and rocky adjustment to his new life of freedom. Which of these three futures, once we are set free, do you suppose God intends for us? Which future has God always intended for us? Do any of us imagine that God's intention was simply to make us free to do anything we wanted? unrelated to the one who made us and loves us? Is the purpose of freedom in Christ to live unguided and vain lives, pursuing wealth or addiction or entertainment or laziness or self-indulgence to go back to the life of sin from which we were freed? Do we imagine he intends to leave us on our own, to make our way in the world forgiven but abandoned, in our freedom. Rather, what comes with freedom after forgiveness is just exactly what God has always desired from us—us. Jesus said this, "'A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, "'What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops.'" Then he said, "'I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, "'My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry.' But God said to him, "'You fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for?' Yes, a person is a fool.' To store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. That comes from Luke 12, verses 16 through 21. What is important is not just the point Jesus is making about wealth and its inability to give eternal life or even complete satisfaction, but what he says about a rich relationship with God. That is what he has always desired a rich relationship with us. Now, isn't it true for many of us and for much of the church around the world that our focus is not on a rich relationship with God, even as Christians? It's about something else that appears religious or spiritual or even holy, but it is just us acting in what we might imagine is a religious, spiritual, or holy way. God is not in it. We may think it is better than wealth, but it is the same action of the heart. It is idolatry. Sometimes this religious spirit is a certain kind of behavior or a certain kind of dress. Sometimes it is adherence to certain doctrines, which may even be true and important but the focus is on the behavior, the dress, or the doctrine rather than on a rich relationship with God. It is making an idol and missing God. So Jesus focuses us on relationship with God, and each one of us needs to take this personally because this is what Jesus wants for us, and from us. It's what Jesus wants for you and from you, just as he does for me and from me. It's what the Holy Spirit wants for us and from us. It is what God the Father wants for us and from us—rich relationship with our Maker— We were not created to be abandoned, but to love and be loved. In the face of this, we chased other gods like wealth, status, fame, success, and we abandoned our source. We imprisoned ourselves in our lusts, far more than just sexual desires, and we couldn't escape. Yet, though we abandoned Him, he came to find us, sacrificed himself to free us from our prison, and called us back to his bosom. He wants us to live with him, with the family, and he will work with us through the rocky and challenging adjustment to this new life of freedom. It is what he has always desired for us. Jesus makes the promise this way in John 14. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. That's pretty clear. Jesus says we, plural, will come to them and will live with them, the family, the Godhead, if you will, comes to those who had been lost to live with them. In this passage, Jesus goes on to promise peace and the Holy Spirit. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace Jesus speaks of is not the absence of war or absence of conflict with another, but an inner gift from him of his own peace in order that our hearts would be calm and fearless. Consider what his peace looked like. At his most troubled moment, knowing his painful death was near, did he stew silently and alone? Did he drink away his fears? Alcohol and drugs were used then, as they are now, to numb the pain of living and the fear of dying? No. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane to talk to his Heavenly Father. When he stood before Pilate, did he quake in fear? No. He was calm, fearless, resolute. When he was whipped and scourged, and a crown of thorns pierced his head, he endured it unafraid. When he was mocked and spat upon, he was at peace. When he was crucified, he calmly spoke to a condemned criminal and promised him paradise that day. He gave the disciple John to his mother. He forgave the soldiers and others who were killing him. Such was his peace. It is this peace, his peace, that he freely gives us, that our hearts might not be troubled or afraid. It is a peace that is not the absence of strife, conflict, or pain, but of calm poise in the midst of it. Such is the peace of Christ." We obtain it by allowing him into our lives and into our hearts. This is the peace, the shalom of Christ. It is a state of the soul when we have accepted his forgiveness and his freedom, when we have trusted in him as Lord and Savior, and he comes to live with us, gives us his Holy Spirit. This is the peace of christ well there you have it peace not the absence of strife but the presence of god thank you george that's a valuable insight despite just landing that rich truth we're not done yet more to come we'll continue right after this break